This is React Podcast. I'm Chantastic. This week, Brian Vaughn joins us again for an update on React Developer Tools. We talk about fast refresh for the web, new developer conveniences around code mods, and a bunch of great features now available in React Developer Tools to help you profile, suspend component trees, and even find your way in React apps you're unfamiliar with. This chat is guaranteed to help you be a quicker, happier, more productive React developer or your money back guaranteed. Today's episode is brought to you by the fine folks at G2i and Infinite Red. As a contracting web developer, do you find the back and forth of coordinating development work and finding new business challenging? That constant tug of war is what took me out of the contracting game. I hated interrupting a good code flow to take a sales call and send invoices. I just wanted to work in a React app and get critical features into customers' hands. G2i lets you do both of those. It's contracting on easy mode. They market you and your skills directly to companies. They manage all logistics, contracts, invoicing, and payments. Meanwhile, you get personal support from their incredible team. And best of all, you join a collective of talented React and React native developers to help you through the most challenging problems. If you're a contractor, don't do it alone. Partner with the amazing people at G2i. Visit g2i.co today, apply, and find opportunities you'll love. G2i, we vet, you get hired. It's that simple. Infinite Red builds beautiful, functional apps in React Native, and they want to help you bring your ideas to life. Got an idea you want to share with the world? They can build it. Got an old app that's all kinds of busted and need help making it agile again? They can help you fix it. Use their expertise in design, mobile, React Native, Ruby on Rails, Node, Phoenix, Elixir to get your app back on track. For a limited time, listeners of React Podcast get two tickets to Infinite Red's Chain React Conf when they start a new project. Chain React is North America's only React Native conference, and attendees are saying it's the friendliest, most educational conference they've ever been to. At the conference, you'll get to meet the team and see why they're the React Native industry experts to take your app the distance. To start a project, go to our very special URL, reactpodcast.infinite.red, get two tickets to Chain React Conf 2020, and build a beautiful, functional React Native app with Infinite Red. Brian Vaughn, welcome back to React Podcast. Thank you. I'm always excited to see you at these because you you're very you have a very calming presence, <laughs> and it's uh, it, it's nice because there's a lot of frantic stuff happening. But you know you're kind of just like chilling. You're you're working on talk. You're in the <laughs> hot tub every night, taking it easy. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so you gave an amazing talk today, and I kind of just wanted to recap. Um, I know last time we did an episode, um, we talked a little bit about your history with open source and and whatnot. And so we'll link that in the show notes. But um, I just wanted to really kind of get into what you've been working on the last year to help React developers um, both today and as they transition their app into a more like concurrent React world. 
Um, so could you give me an overview of kind of just the, the main topics that you touched today in your talk, and then we'll kind of dive into each of them? Uh, sure. Um, the story that I think describes the, the stuff we've been doing in that regard in the last year is basically we've been trying to sort of improve the developer experience for uh, React developers. And that's sort of a, I think of it in sort of three categories. Um, one is just helping you write your code faster. Um, so in that sense, the work that uh, Dan's been doing with a fast refresh has been mm -hmm. a huge performance win, I think, productivity win. It's out for React Native now, but it'll be out for React Dom really soon. So we've got some Webpack and some parcel integrations, both like well underway. Um, and hopefully this will make its way into Create React App and Next and all the other like big tools, I hope. And DevTools has a bit of a, a part in that story too with like mm -hmm. editable um, props and state and, and all that stuff. But I think DevTools probably um, falls even more so into sort of like the second category, which is just helping you sort of maintain debug, profile, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Once you've got your, your components written in an app, making more sense of that. And that's, a, I think, a big part. Plays into our new APIs, um, especially concurrent mode and suspense, because a lot of this um, used to be that React would just do sort of top-down, uh, <laughs> like just depth first. And you can sort of visualize how that works. You can think about like your, your tree, and you know, well, it, like it, it does this thing, and then all the way down, and then all the way down. Yep. And you can think about that. But with suspense and concurrent mode, it's, it's often doing things out of sequence, um, mm -hmm. maybe in or leaving work with the cooperative scheduling stuff. So DevTools, I think, has a really important role to play there and just sort of giving you a nice um, structured way of uh, just presenting that information in a way that you can make sense of. And we have a lot more work planned there, I think. But the profiler, um, for instance, and some of the suspense tools as well have been, like I think, really important yeah. um, to help you make sense of that. Um, and then lastly, we uh, we haven't done a lot of work recently on this, but Sunil did some really nice work making our code mods just a one-liner. Nice. So you don't have to, before I think you had to like npmi-g or you had to <laughs> install them locally and throw them away or something just to run them. And now it's just a single mixed use of npm's npx commands. So you can just run them as a one-off. And uh, we hope this uh, will help people... Um, we don't like making breaking changes. We yeah. try real hard to avoid it. Sometimes you have to do it. But um, if we do it, uh, if it's possible, we'll make ways to automate it too. And I think the, the code mods are an important part of that story. So we just want to keep everyone moving forward as much as possible. Not to say that you should always be on the latest version. We, if you have a version of React, an app built on V14 and it's working for you, that's great. But um, in as much as possible, if you're doing new development, we hope we can keep everyone on the latest and greatest uh, because it just simplifies a lot of things and we think things are getting better, hopefully. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I think so too. And I thought, I thought that was such a, when you, when you said that, that you were like kind of leveraging NPX to do this, I didn't, I hadn't, it hadn't crossed my mind that just that sl slight shift makes them so much more approachable that you mm -hmm. can just kind of like run this code and just kind of see, right? Like e even just like see what it does, see if it's going to help you um, without having to do a big install or, or, or whatnot. You just run it and yeah. and there it is. Yeah, it's pretty clever too. It has some checks that I didn't demo, but it'll it'll uh, stop immediately and tell you if like your get repo has a uncommitted change. So it's like, oh, it's wow. really handheld um, so that really you should be able to run it and then get diff and see exactly what's changed. And if it's not what you want, throw it away. And uh, I think it's, uh, we, we made it as easy as we can make it. <laughs> yeah.
<laughs> what are some of the um, the recent things that code mods have been really critical for you as you've um, kind of updated the the Facebook source code? The, well, the most recent one's the lifecycle thing. So class components uh, are really tricky um, for a lot of reasons. It's really easy to sort of violate React's rules in mm-hmm. terms of uh, no side effects during render is the main one. Class components, it's really tempting to think of, well, it's, is it a side effect if I'm modifying a, <laughs> a, a quote-unquote private variable? And it, it is. Um, and we uh, we started early on thinking, well, we can maybe make class components concurrent mode safe. And eventually we realized you, you just can't. Mm-hmm. Um, but in particular, some life cycles are particularly problematic because we, we sort of audited Facebook code. We audited code on GitHub. We saw a lot of patterns HTTP requests being sent from mm-hmm. these things, uh, all sorts of stuff. And so um, class components are sort of inherently uh, foot gunny, but mm-hmm. these particular lifecycle methods, by which I mean component will mount, component will receive props, and component will update, mm-hmm. were just so many problems that we saw. So we thought, okay, got to discourage their use. <laughs> we don't want to get rid of them entirely because, uh, well, we do, but we're not <laughs> going to. Um, because they're, you know, like like I said earlier, if you've got an app that's working well for you and it's uh, uh, and you're not planning on leveraging these new APIs, then we don't want to make your word, world painful. But we want to make sure that they're it's in your face that this is a conscious trade off you're mm-hmm. making. So, as part of our deprecation strategy, we always try to give you a couple of release cycles worth of warnings that things are coming up. And as long as you stay on top of fixing the warnings, then upgrading each version should be smooth. So for the life cycles, we uh, we wrote a code mod that um, <clears throat> renames them with an unsafe prefix. Hmm. So uh, if you want to keep using them, you can keep using them. But the fact that they're unsafe is like right there in the name. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we ran that on a bunch of Facebook code. And it updated, I think, almost 8,500 files. So it was a big wow. diff wow. or a couple of diffs. But, um, but yeah, that was really helpful. Now, one thing you said from stage that was um, really interesting to me and I wanted to flesh out a little bit is that when you, as the React core team, make uh, breaking changes to React, that you are responsible for updating Facebook's code base. Could you talk a little bit more to that? Yeah. Um, Facebook's, a, uh, we have a lot of people in engineering. And uh, we have a lot of projects that are stable and like not actively maintained even. And so uh, it would be sort of silly for us to say, well, we're going to rename these lifecycle methods. <laughs> um, there's maybe 100 software products, I don't even know how many there are. So we're going to open 100 issues for 100 teams and say, like, you have until this date or otherwise your app will break. And inevitably, uh, you know, a lot of the projects won't have teams anymore. And so um, the strategy, I think, that the React team has had before I joined, um, but that we still have is just that uh, we sort of, um, we're going to drive these updates. um, And that'll... It'll do a bunch of things. It'll sort of, we've got skin in the game. So like mm-hmm. it helps keep us uh, a little bit balanced in terms of like, you know, I want to deprecate this thing, but <laughs> I understand how painful it is for everyone because it's painful for me. Um, and it's also just practical. It's like, sure. I have the context on why this needs to change. Uh, I can probably make the change in a lot of cases best. Mm-hmm. Um, so the strategy we generally take is, uh, it depends on the type of change. In the case of the life cycles, we run a code mod fix some merge conflicts, run it again a week later, and it's it's kind of straightforward. Um, sometimes, though, it's it's less straightforward than that. And then we'll do things like we'll add 
warnings. And then Facebook has a system for like logging and aggregating these warnings with the call stack so that they can like pin them down to specific locations. And then Mm -hmm. we'll add a warning and we'll check a week or two later. And if it's fired thousands of times or more than okay well, this is a serious thing if it's fired a couple times then we just find and fix those locations and so different types of changes have different strategies and sometimes we will eventually file a task with the team and say you know this is a bad pattern yeah we've like stemmed the bleeding but you need to go in and do these things to fix it but we're uh, our team is always sort of the first uh tier of 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 the change um and i think this is probably a big reason why well i think it's a big a positive factor on React's open source experience because, uh, um, yeah, it just keeps things measured and it keeps the upgrade cycle, I think, relatively sane. Yeah. Um, there are some upgrades that are, uh, you know, there's still some noise. Sometimes there's some warnings and things, and I understand that's irksome, but uh, at least you know the core team has gone through all of this. And so yeah. it's, we've done our best to, uh, if we've made a change that's a little annoying, there is probably a good reason for it because we've had to deal with the annoyance for the couple of months preceding the release. So, uh, yeah. Interesting, interesting. So these code mods that you're publishing um, are actually things that you have used in m- migrating that feature in your own code base. Yeah, at least most of them. I don't know about all of them, but yeah. Um, the, like the the create class one, definitely. The prop types one, the life cycles one, I've ran both of those. Um, yeah. Cool. Now, there's always this kind of like running tally about how many components Facebook uh, actually has. Do you know what that number is? I don't know. I days? remember a couple of years ago at ReactConf, I think we were saying like 40,000. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, that's been so long ago. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, like I said, I think the uh, the create class alone was 20,000 some uh, files it updated. Wow. And you know that a file can be multi-component. Sure. And plus, there's all the ones that didn't, that were already using S six classes mm-hmm. or functions. So I don't know. A lot of components. I, I wouldn't even hazard a guess. A lot of components. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Now, uh, an, another big thing that you've been working on is, uh, or you and Dan have been working on, is uh, fast refresh. And could you give us just like a summary of what that is, how it's different from hot module reloading, and um, and and we can talk about the integration after that. Yeah, this is mostly Dan's thing. I've just been reviewing the code reviews for the, the PRs for the most part. But um, so there's like a bunch of things out there in this space. There's like hot module reloading, live refresh, hot reloading, React hot loader. There's like a half dozen <laughs> with like these words mixed up. And I think they um, it's a like couple a Mad of libs type of situation. You just yeah. mix them around. Until it's like a random module, module generator. Yeah. You just throw in a few names. <laughs> I think they all share a couple of uh, well. So for one, they're all. They're all great. They all start, are trying to tackle like a, a very real uh, productivity problem, and they've had a lot of like sweat and tears from the community, including folks like Dan, who started the React Hot Loader. But they all have uh, this like inherent uh, struggle that they're uh, sort of user space third party things, um, and it's just inherently hard to do some things right at all, but especially over time with different versions of React. Mm-hmm. And so the, the 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 tension you generally have, I think, between the the two the two types of tension you'll see in these third party solutions are one like the the live refresh or live reloading, whatever that one is, reloads the whole page on change. And so that one's like that one's good in that your code is always going to be consistent in the latest version, but it's bad in that like you're losing all your state each time. Sure. You're it's better than you refreshing manually, but only like only somewhat. 
versus the other one, which is more of like the hot module reloady React hot loader uh, solution, which tries to just reload parts of your tree and preserve state, but then very frequently gets into like kind of conflicted state or inconsistent mm -hmm. tree. And then you're seeing a bug and is this a bug in my code or is it a bug because of the patched components and it's hard to tell, so you use this tension. So the nice thing about the new fast refresh is that it's we basically made use of the same mechanism that DevTools uses, this hook where React, I say React, but what I really mean is a renderer built on the React reconciler. Um, part of this package knows to look for and inject itself into um, DevTools or the fast refresh environment and say like, mm -hmm. here's some internal methods that you can have. Mm -hmm. And then the two talk to each other. And so um, this is, uh, it's better than trying to hot patch thing because it gives some, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's intentionally designed that we expose these methods. So it's okay. sort of like our uh, protected API, I guess, mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, and it's built to handle these cases that were problematic. And we sort of intentionally just sort of said, nope, classes are out of scope because we just can't do them. They, they get mm -hmm. broken in too many ways, but hooks um, by their design are sort of meant to work with things like this. And so I think, uh, you now have sort of the best of both of the open source uh, or the third party strategies where you get um, consistency is like a strong guarantee. Mm -hmm. um, and also you're just refreshing the subtree um, and ideally without even losing state unless there's a, a need for that. And so it's a mm -hmm. much better iterative like prototyping and, and changing things experience. Super fast too. It's really nice. I'm yeah. just, I'm really excited for the DOM world to get it because I've played with it with React Native some, and yeah. it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Now you were, you showed a really interesting graph about adoption at Facebook um, with with this tool versus others. Mm -hmm. Can you talk to that? Yeah. So what what the um, the sorts of things we typically do? Um, I did it for DevTools. Dan did it for Fast Refresh. When we make a tool like this, we'll make a workplace group. So workplaces mm -hmm. like Facebook for Business. Um, we use it at Facebook. We'll make a group. So I, I made a React DevTools v4. Dan made a fast refresh group. We'll say, hey, like we're doing this new thing. Um, we think it's exciting. We'd love for you to try it. Uh, if you'd like to try it, join this group. And that will opt you into an experiment, which will install. So in my case, I have a chef script that like installs this, these builds of DevTools I have locally. Oh, um, in Dan's case, it would opt you into the fast refresh by default if you're a React Native developer. Hmm. Um, and now we're also using it on FB5 for, for folks working on the new Facebook. So we have a Tom version, but it's very much built into Facebook's module system. Gotcha. But oh man, it's going to be good when the open source lands. <laughs> but so people join these experiments and uh, they're sort of the people who are willing to take the rough edges to get the latest features. They share feedback with us. Mm -hmm. We iterate. If ever anything breaks really bad, you just leave the group and you're out of the GK. Or you can also blacklist yourself in the like admin tools. Yeah, and so we sort of get this feedback internally. So in the case of Fast Refresh, um, when Dan uh, initially added it, he made a post saying, um, it's here. Uh, I don't know how well it works, so it's not going to be on by default, but you can turn it on. And then we track. Uh, and clearly, I want to say clearly, we don't track anything in open source, but we do track internal usage of internal tools so we can see, like, are they working? Like, mm -hmm. do they suck? Mm -hmm. um, and in this case, we saw sort of organically within a couple of weeks, more than half people turned it on and left it on, which is up from like 15% before. So wow. it's a big shift. So then we, uh, then Dan said, all right, now it's on by default. You can turn it off. And almost no one has. So wow. we feel pretty good about it. It's like in the upper 90% of people that are, in, in, uh, that are using it. Um, so we think that's a good indicator that it's going to work well for open source folks too. And I 
so far, I think it is. I haven't heard much uh, negative chatter since the nice. React Native release. Well, it definitely seems like in React, the React Native world, it definitely seems like something that people are bragging about over like the, the uh, th those of us that work on the web, like, hey, we have fast refresh <laughs> and you don't, or at least that's what, that's what I've seen. <laughs> um, and so uh, so I'm excited to get it and, mm -hmm. and, and experience that. Now, I know that this is, um, and I might have missed this a little bit, I'm still trying to tease this out, but this is integrated into React, This how this works, is that right? Yeah, so fast refresh is a, an NPM package. It lives in the monorepo the React monorepo in GitHub, which is where DevTools lives and it's where all the React uh, like core packages mm -hmm. live and a bunch of other miscellaneous stuff that's related. And it's got sort of two pieces. One's a plugin mm -hmm. that you can sort of integrate with Webpack or Metro or something. And another one is a runtime. And the runtime is the thing that uses a similar mechanism to DevTools where um, React will like, in, uh, inject part of itself into this thing and give it some some methods to like uh, to say like oh like so render this thing now it's changed or gotcha. render this thing <laughs> devtools works really similarly yeah is that yeah 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 okay. no that, no that makes sense so if someone wanted to let's say like i know that right now you have it working in webpack metro and parcel uh, if there was another bundler uh, that gained popularity like next week and kind of came on the scene um, how much work is it to kind of get this into <laughs> To, to add that bundler to the Yeah, I don't think list. it's a ton of work to integrate with a bundler. I think the reason why the um, the Metro uh, Webpack, um, sorry, not the Metro, the Webpack and Parcel um, PRs are ongoing is the has been a more of getting the the experience of like the overlay in the case of an error, mm -hmm. like really polished and getting the loading animations polished. These sort of meta things that like make the overall developer experience feel nice. Um, I think that. M uh, when I tried the Webpack version before my birthday, so like it must have been three or four weeks ago, um, it was like already kind of working. There were okay. some cases it didn't handle, but like the overlay wasn't working, so like mm -hmm. it didn't show you where the source code error was, and there were some like source map things to iron out. So it's more that. But I think um, especially once these land, then there will be at that point like three reference uh, integrations that oh, I think cool. would make it even easier. Um, right now, I think the goal was just sort of to feature parity with the Metro version. Yeah, yep. Um, but taking into consideration like some of the different uh, like capabilities and stuff of, I think actually the source map stuff was a particular challenge. I don't remember the specifics mm -hmm. why, but I think uh, the more reference implementations, the better. Yeah. But I think mm -hmm. actual integration is pretty easy, especially cool. if you don't care about the slick overlay, then actually just hooking up the change and reloading it is not, it's not too much work. Cool. And the overlay would be familiar to anyone who's used uh, Create React app. Yeah, before. yeah, similar to that. So Create React already has an overlay that shows you when there's a syntax error and the exact lines it's at. And this is making use of that mechanism. I think part of the challenge too is that that mechanism is in the middle of a refactor. So there's just kind of a couple of moving pieces at once. Mm -hmm. And the two folks that are working on it are both, this is not their full-time job. And so they're just like contributing and Dan and I have both been busy and I haven't, I intended to help and then I got caught up making a conference talk. Um, it's work to do. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I think uh, it should be close and uh, it should be much easier to copy for a new, I mean, I think the, the, I only just found out about the parcel PR like two days ago. Oh, cool. So that was just going in parallel and we didn't even know about it. Nice, um, nice. But that's great because parcel is really cool. So I'm excited to actually dig in and look at that PR when I get a chance I haven't yet. Yeah. So does this, um, 
is there any caveats that people should be aware of in terms of like how this works with um, function components and <clears throat> hooks versus you know class components, <clears throat> etc.? Uh, sure. Um, I guess there's 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 two cases um, when your code changes for a component. Um, fast refresh is going to reload it. Uh, or re-render and update the page in the DOM or the native app or whatever uh, environment you're rendering to. Um, the question is whether it'll preserve its state or not. Um, so with class components, it's just we're never going to do that because okay. we've just admitted that it's too many people have tried on too many efforts and there's too many edge cases. Um, class components are just hard to get right. Um, but function components generally will just re-render and preserve their state, just mm. like if the parent um, like re-rendered and you didn't memoize it or something. So that's nice because that means just that small part of your tree and then it won't even go deep if there's uh, equality, like if the if the should, should render memoization mm. stuff checks, then React only render a very small part of your app. So it should be super fast and also you won't lose your state. Um, the caveat where you would lose your state are some of the cases I covered in my talk where um, we have some heuristics that just say like, uh, do we think the state is like invalid? And at this mm. point, so like, did you add new hooks? Did you pass a different value? I didn't mention this in my talk, but we also track the initial value you pass. So if you pass a different initial value, well, we're gonna do probably the safest thing. Uh, the the When there's a chance that it's like, do you choose between safety or convenience? We opt for safety. Mm -hmm. So in that case, we will reset the component. So it's just like we unmounted and remounted and then it'll fully render the rest of the tree beneath it. So you'll still mostly preserve your application state because all the props in the state above it will still be preserved. Mm -hmm. So in many cases, this will still be uh, a very nice refresh experience. It's just if there's local component state, it would get reset in that case. But I think that kind of case is probably, uh, well, A, that's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, there's no other in really intuitive thing you could do, but B, that's like a less likely case because mostly I think well, a lot of types of iteration is like, oh, I'm going to add a div, change a style, change a class name, change a color, change a label. And sure. those are all quick refreshes without any state loss. So Interesting. So if I understand correctly, you're kind of memoizing these components by their signatures, <clears throat> which includes the, like the, um, the, the name of the component, um, any uh, hooks that it uses, and also the initial state that you've given to those hooks. Yeah. Every... every um, that's correct. Each 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 component uh, has some metadata built up about it, which includes like its hooks, um, which hooks, uh, their initial values, and their variable names. Uh, and that's because also it's like if you rename a variable, that's kind of an implication that you're changing the use of it. So this case of like we're trying to be safe over convenient, but um, but yeah, uh, I think from my own uh, anecdotal experience editing components for things like dev tools, like your hooks are generally pretty stable and you mm -hmm. tweak all these other meta things that are unrelated to state sure maybe, maybe controlled by state but don't control state and so uh, all those edits are are the ones that fast refresh versus the ones that like still it's still quite fast actually but, <laughs> but fast do refresh. Yeah. <laughs> awesome well now another big thing that you were talked about was all of the um all the work that you've been doing in dev tools and we talked a little bit about what you were doing last year and with the DevTools and the mm -hmm. profiler, but mm -hmm. I feel like you've really just kicked it up a notch, and there's just so much stuff that you've been you've been adding. Um, with to start us off, like with concurrent mode, kind of like over the over the horizon, like with people exploring it now, 
What are some of the things that you've added into DevTools to um, make working with React in a concurrent world better? Yeah, I think the the profiler is one of the biggest ones at the moment because um, you can think back to to Sync React, like um, before we had these, uh, well, before we had concurrent mode, but also even before things like suspense, the way the, the app renders is very predictable and easy to think about. Um, maybe with the caveat of like if an error was thrown, but still it's it's pretty easy to think about. It's just a, a chain set of synchronous function calls. Um, you can hit record in Chrome's or Firefox's profiler and you'll see something like a flame graph mm-hmm. that actually exactly mimics the, mimics the render order. Um, now it's now it's different. Um, now, well, I say now, I mean, if you're using concurrent mode, but even if you're not, you know, React, if there's suspense, we might yield. It might start working on some lower priority work. Even if there's not suspense, it might yield to let the browser pane and process other JavaScript. There's all these things that could be happening, not truly in parallel, but interleaved. And this makes the the default browser tools um, pretty confusing to use. Mm-hmm. Also, React's implementation in V16, uh, sort of with foresight of these APIs we're going to be working on, it's very different than the old, what we came to call the old stack reconciler versus the new fiber-based reconciler, which is an iterative approach, because we needed to be able to yield and restart with very minimal overhead. And so um, the way that our code is structured is to make that very efficient. But as a side effect, it makes the the, the profiling kind of confusing because if you're looking in like the browser's native performance profiler, the call stack is usually going to be like three or four or I don't know, some number of React function calls and then mm-hmm. one of your components and then a different one of your components. And so what is like, which button is this? Which what is this? I don't understand. Sure. Um, that's a very confusing experience. We do use the user timings API to give, uh, in dev mode at least, to give labels so you at least see some structure of the tree, but mm-hmm. it's still kind of confusing. So the the main thing the profiler did was sort of uh, give you a cohesive um, view of each of these. Hmm, I didn't say the word commit. I should have. <laughs> React does work in a couple phases. I think a couple people at the conference mentioned this, but we have a render phase, which is where we actually run your functions. We um, this is where we recurse the tree and we render everything. We build up a set of, well, what do we need to add, update, delete? Mm-hmm. Um, this is the expensive amount of work that we do. And this is also the thing that we yield while doing. This is the thing that we throw away if we get higher priority work or if there's an sure. error. But when we get the sort of set of changes we need to do, so we need to create a few elements, update a few styles, mm-hmm. append something, then we do this in what we call the commit phase, which is a very optimized phase where we make side effects in the browser or the native app. Profiler gives you um, sort of a nice summarized view of each of these commits. Mm-hmm. And it says like, oh, hey, when the DOM updated here, um, these 12 components rendered, and they took this amount of time. And you can drill in and see, well, why did they render? Oh, it's because this prop changed. How long did this one take? What was the longest one? Things like that. So this kind of uh, a little bit glosses over the like confusing concurrent async bits sure. and shows you like a nice summary view. Uh, so I think that that's a big help when you're performance profiling your app, but it's not enough. Um, we've we've noticed uh, working on the new Facebook, for instance, that there's like a lot of information that falls between the cracks between the two, the the profiler of DevTools and the browser's profiler. Yeah. So for instance, if I'm looking in DevTools profiler, I might see two commits, 
And DevTools is gonna show me this commit happened like three seconds into when I started profiling and this one happened five seconds in, but like what was going on in between? I don't know. <laughs> um, was it uh, other JavaScript? Was it uh, I was waiting on images to load or like expensive network requests? Was it that like something was taking a long time to render? So there's this extra information that's missing. So we have this idea, there's an issue I opened on the GitHub repo called root events, I think, but there's this um, the idea I have um, that we could add some some new uh, events that DevTools could consume from React that are basically like a sort of higher level that say like, okay, React is now starting to work and oh, now it's stopping because I'm yielding or it's stopping because this component suspended or it's stopping because I'm committing stuff, mm -hmm. things like this. And then we could have a new view that's kind of like the profiler and it's probably started and stopped by the same recording mechanism, but it's kind of like a timeline view um, where the x-axis is sort of time and the y-axis is uh, priority, or th or you can think of it like a thread. Sure. So here you could see, okay, well, React was rendering um, at the highest priority here, 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 and then it stopped because some component uh, suspended to fetch some data, and then, oh, maybe it started rendering at some lower priority here, or it did nothing, and there you know, oh, like other JavaScript was running or, sure. or whatnot. So we think like a, a timeline view of this could be like another extra piece of this picture to help um, inform what's going on with these new APIs. You're working with the Chrome team to 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 work scheduling as a concept into yeah. to, into the browser. Mm -hmm. And um, I do you feel like there's a future in which you know maybe some of these these APIs actually. Go, get into the browser, and then we actually start seeing these end up as um, profilable things inside of the default uh, DevTools? Yes, I think that some scheduling primitive is definitely a great candidate for the browser. So right now, React has a package that we published npm called Scheduler. Um, this package is basically, uh, we made the observation, again, working on the new Facebook, that, okay, so React... Um, we want it to be cooperative and to be a, a, a good uh, a good neighbor in the browser and yield every once in a while so that it doesn't hold other things up. Mm -hmm. But uh, sort of tragedy of the common style, if React <laughs> is yielding, then other things might get greedy and slurp up all the time. And these other things could be like someone set an interval on the page that's just doing something, but it's like eating up a lot of time. Um, uh, there's all sorts of stuff that happens in the so in the old Facebook design, React was only parts of the page. There was a lot of JavaScript that was not React. But even in the new Facebook design, there's parts that are like maybe you fetch a resource, you set a timeout, you do something that are sort of like orthogonal to React. And how do you cooperate with React in this case? So this concept of a scheduler is pretty important for any non-React code, application code, third-party code, mm -hmm. other frameworks, so that all of these bits can cooperate. But then it also goes a step farther. Um, like maybe I'm doing some work that requires me to like fetch uh, some JSON response from a server at a certain priority, like which means the browser says, okay, like you're important enough to work on now, do your fetch. But when the response comes back, what's the priority then? It's, I don't know. Sure. Um, if it's an image request or network, what's the, so like these are things that only the browser can do. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely an API there that, um, we can sort of roughly polyfill, but not not really with the propagation, unless you're willing to override all the global APIs sure. to like fake it. So there's definitely some space there. So um, we've been working with the, the Chrome team um, uh, to sort of talk about what this is. 
if you think ahead to something like this being in the browser, then yes, there's definitely a new set of like built-in developer tools that like this needs to be exposed. So like yeah. when you're profiling JavaScript and you see an event and a call stack, like what was the priority of this thing? This mm -hmm. probably means some like maybe some substantial changes to their tooling. I don't know what that'll be like. Maybe that'll be a fourth or fifth JavaScript profiling tab in the Chrome. <laughs> sure. They have so many of them. But I think just like right now you have the the um, the built-in JavaScript profiler and the React profiler, I think you'll probably still have these new primitive profiling tools and a React one because React one, React also has its own set of things. So like right now, React will schedule a callback for itself within the scheduler at whatever the highest priority is, mm -hmm. but then it has its own priorities within that that it does work on. So there's sort of like a, a secondary set of parties it's working on and also a lot of React specific isms that like it makes sense that we could expose them in a more intuitive, sure. meaningful way within the React DevTools proper. So mm -hmm. I think there's probably going to be two sets of new stuff mm -hmm. um, as this goes forward. Interesting. Now, you said something that kind of sparked something for me that I hadn't really thought of before with regards to scheduler. But one of the benefits of um, pulling it out from React and having it be its own, own package um, apart from other libraries um, maybe being interested or using it is really your own JavaScript. So mm -hmm. you can you can use Scheduler directly <clears throat> to coordinate your own JavaScript that, as you said, is orthogonal mm -hmm. to React mm -hmm. in a way that will make those cooperate and mm -hmm. uh, uh, cooperative uh, concurrency. Okay. Is that the... <laughs> I think cooperative scheduling is maybe okay, the yeah. one I've heard, but yeah, yeah. I think that's the that's the word I was looking for before. Um, so you can you can create uh, you can use scheduler now to um, make your JavaScript code uh, coordinate with the um, with React. Yeah, yeah. So maybe I've got like a maybe I'm creating a searchable index of something. So I want to like make a type ahead and I want it to be searchable and I want to process a chunk of data and it's a big chunk. So I want to break it up into time stuff and I want to, well, I could just like, you know, use RAF or something and just <laughs> chew up a full frame each time and yield. But now I'm like slurping up all the reacts time. So you could use the a scheduler for something like this. So like I'm, this work has some priority based on my application. Mm -hmm. I don't know what, what this is, but like conceptually there's a priority and it's like, okay, I'll work on a little bit and then I'll yield back and say, hey, call me again when this priority of stuff is up. This is essentially what React itself is doing. So um, yeah, I think, I, I think you could potentially use this uh, for that. You could also use it. Um, we have some wrappers around this right now for some patterns in concurrent mode React. These aren't super finalized, but like conceptually, Sometimes you want to do an update in uh, sort of two parts. Uh, like the DevTools is an example of this. When you are in the components tab and you're using your arrows keys or you're clicking something, you're changing the selected item, which has two effects. One, it like changes the highlighted mm -hmm. um, selected row, but then secondary effect is that it also changes the selected props in the right pane. But the right pane are actually suspense-driven props, where we're actually talking over a post message request to a different memory space and saying, like, tell me about this thing. So that's asynchronous. Uh, one of the rules of React that we will warn you if you violate is you don't want to suspend in a high prior update because that's going to be a bad user experience. Like, if it's really important, like responding to mouse or keyboard mm -hmm. clicks and then you suspend, then that means you're not going to be responsive. So there's this two update pattern that we encourage where you, you update initially and you say, like, oh, okay, 
I'll do something that shows that I've responded to your interaction. In this case, I'll change the background color. And then at a lower priority, so React will batch it, React will batch it separately, I'll do my suspensey thing. So um, I don't know what the final API will end up for that is, but right now the one I'm using in DevTools is using like a an explicit like update the state at this lower priority. Okay. I think we have actually recently added a hook to help with this. I know that there were two hooks. Um, There's like use transition, or as of right now, <clears throat> uh, two hooks were merged that are like use transition okay. and then use so these deferred value, yeah. I think. I think use deferred value is uh, analogous to the update pattern that I'm talking about. Okay. Um, but conceptually, uh, you might use the scheduler in some vaguely related way to like do different uh, updates. I don't know what the final API for that sure, will look sure. like though. Yeah, and and just to be clear, like all the stuff <clears throat> that we're talking about is under that like experimental uh, branch flag release <laughs> cycle right now. Uh, yeah, I think the schedule. I think the priority stuff is just prefix with unstable underscore. Okay. I don't know what the status of it is in experimental. <laughs> that was all very recent. Um, and I was distracted by conference talk stuff. Of course. So, <laughs> yeah, I read the blog post, but I think the I think the experimental branch has two things that are that were under un, uh, unstable underscore that are now not. And I think they're both like APIs to, to like creating the, uh, the async root essentially. I don't know that it has anything to do with the priority stuff. I don't know. You might know more than I do if you've been following in the last couple of days. <laughs> so when you um, so when you come into those moments where you um, you said that there's an error, and I, mm-hmm. I've been tickering with this stuff a little bit, and I have run into that error. What's the like? What's the what's the, like practical solution for the for for solving that? Which one are we talking about? The um, the when, don't suspend on a high prey update one. Yeah. Ah, yeah. The, well, the, the 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 solution to solve it is one of these patterns that I've talked about. Where mm-hmm. so like the the, the key is that. We want um, we we think it's important for certain interactions to happen within a small amount of time. So Alexandra's talk earlier today mentioned, I think that there's like this window of time where either the material guidelines, I think, says like you should respond to certain types of gestures and events within less than 100 milliseconds so that they feel immediate. Anything mm-hmm. longer feels sluggish. So we have similar con- like uh, heuristics for how quickly should your app update in response to um, keyboard input or mouse input. Um, and so the observation with the suspense stuff is like, well, there's this window of some number of milliseconds that's pretty mm-hmm. small where the human brain doesn't really perceive if there's some lag, but afterwards you notice that it's off. So we want your app to render within that amount of time. And if it has to fetch a network request or something, it's like probably not gonna. <laughs> so you have a couple options. One is the sort of pattern like Jan talked about today where it's some pre, uh, sorry, not Jan. Joe talked about on the relay team some prefetching. Mm-hmm. Um, that could be one way. Um, another way is that you sort of update your your React app in sort of two phases. The one is the super fast phase, which maybe shows the button in a press state, or shows gotcha. a background highlight, or shows a loading icon, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And then the second one, the the lower priority one, is the one that actually initiates the suspense. Um, the reason for that is that React can quickly update the thing to keep it feeling responsive. Mm-hmm. And if the resource comes back within some a small amount of time, it'll just do the second render immediately. Mm-hmm. And if it takes longer, we can show a secondary like transition spinner. Like what that is depends on the UI we're talking about, the app. Gotcha. But that's the that's the recommended pattern. Gotcha. So 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 when we see that error, what it's indicating is we need to 
there's a possibility that we could be waiting a long time for for something to happen and so we need to be thinking in more phases which is show something right away that you registered what the user is asking for Mm -hmm. um and then kind of consider the other phases in like a you know like maybe a lower priority to borrow the language um update yeah just split the split the work into chunks so that you can keep that feeling fast yep cool Cool. Um, now, I know one big thing that's going to be super important as we experiment more with suspense and error boundaries is um, being able to see those um, states kind of in time. Um, what is the dev? T- what are de- uh, the React Dev Tools doing to help us um, kind of see those states? Uh, yeah. So there's two aspects of this, I guess. One is testing the states. Um, uh, so with s- with suspense and or with state state DevTools lets you toggle those things mm-hmm. so if i'm um a ui engineer building an app and i've got these loading states that i'm working on and maybe i am on a really fast intranet or something and so the app loads up really quick for me and i can't really tell what the load experience is there's a few tools for this like the browsers give you like throttling of mm-hmm. network and cpu and stuff but also sometimes that's not enough i want to like tweak this loading state so DevTools lets you just pick an arbitrary component in your dev tools, wherever it is, and just pretend like it's suspended. And that'll walk up the tree and find the nearest boundary and show its fallback just like it would if React had done this during a normal render. So this lets you quickly like spot check around what happens if this suspends, what happens huh. if this is, and then you can tweak your loading states. The other one is um, some of these states are actually stored in state. So like maybe you have a is loaded thing or a selected ID or whatever that's, that's driving your suspense. You can just edit those directly in dev tools. Um, the other angle, though, is that um, if you're looking back at what happened, then this is where something like the profiler or this new uh, root event timeline view that we haven't built yet would come in handy. And there you would see um, probably more, but at least two commits. And you can look at each commit, and DevTools would tell you this was a high-priority commit, this was a low-priority commit. Sure. These state things changed during these commits and like how long it took and stuff. And that's sort of the analytic side where if you're mm-hmm. drilling down through what happened and the, the profiler would help you there. Yeah, well, I know, like for me as someone who does a lot of like styling and layout, um, kind of seeing that demo today that you could uh, kind of freeze it in like a certain uh, suspended like spot in time uh, was really interesting. And then also, as you mentioned now, like that idea of kind of clarifying what those suspended late uh, states look like. So, you know, if this piece suspends or this piece suspends, you know, if the, you know, what inner engages which types of responses from mm-hmm. my from my layout I f- that seems super interesting we had a prototype built at one point that we didn't ship but uh that was like a draggable like a slider and it just started and it suspended everything from the top down one at a time <laughs> so you could just see every possible no loading state of your app that's wild um that was like cool to see but like a little hard to use directly maybe and so that's why we're using the the toggle that we've got now um yeah, that was fun. There's a there's a thing that I meant to mention earlier that I didn't think to mention. So this is totally out of sequence. But another tool that we're going to add to DevTools at some point that we have inside of Facebook already in an internal extension that's proven to be pretty useful um, to like diagnose suspense mm-hmm. and server-side rendering and concurrency and everything is this uh, this concept of selective hydration or progressive hydration. There's a couple terms for it, but basically this thing that was talked about uh, yesterday by Tom and Yuzi, I think. Um, But the idea is that it's good to speed up 
how quickly we can show an initial screen full of stuff mm. to a to a, a person, um, especially on lower end devices. If there's a lot of CPU work that has to be done, then doing all the rendering on the client might take a long time. If you could do the rendering on the server and send it down as like already rendered HTML, that could be faster. But now you have this gap of time between when stuff showed and when someone can actually interact with it. Because when it first shows, it's just a bunch of static HTML, yeah. just like it was rendered by PHP. So what happens uh, after that is React has to do what we call hydrate, which is to um, render the React app just like it would in the sort of regular client-side rendering. And then everything that's rendered, it matches it up with the DOM that's already in place. Hmm. And this is what is hydrating the DOM. When rendering is done, now the app is interactive just like it would be if you'd rendered it on the client, but there's this gap of time where you can click something and nothing happens maybe. <laughs> sure, sure. So um, there's a couple of things that uh, I think mostly Sebastian's been working on to help make this faster. One of them is a streaming server render, and another one is this uh, concept of um, selectively hydrating parts of the tree. So by, by default, we'll start on the topmost thing and render our way down. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's some heuristics that might indicate that we should focus our attention uh, instead of just going like, depth first, uh, you know, top down, left, right, or whatever, um, we could focus our attention elsewhere. So like maybe normally we would render, uh, I don't know if you think of like Facebook, we'd render like the the top bar, the left nav, the feed, the mm-hmm. right panel. But if a user mouses over something in their right column, that tells us like that's probably going to be interacted with mm-hmm. before something their mouse isn't even near. And so we can reprioritize our work to get that interactive faster. Mm-hmm. We still have to render things above it, but when you get down to the point of, okay, and now I've rendered to this level, which sibling do I go down? You go down whichever one has the thing that was interacted with mm-hmm. in that initial state. Uh, so this is cool, but it's also like really hard to observe. It's another like mm-hmm. bit of this behavior that you can't directly track with like the existing sure. tools. So we have this um, extension that currently draws these red, uh, slightly opaque overlays on top of things that are static. These, the, using, I think, like the suspense boundaries. Oh. And then uh, the more levels of work that needs to be done before they're fully interactive, the more of these overlays that get stacked. Huh. So you see this page initially with a bunch of like reddish things, and they gradually become clearer. And you can see if you move your mouse over one of them, that becomes clearer faster. So I think something like this could be useful in the generic open source dev tools where maybe we gray things out or we do something. I don't know the right accessibility approach, but we sort of indicate that parts of your page are not interactive and then show you as they become interactive so that you can sort of see in real time um, how quickly is my page becoming interactive and in what order. And you can maybe optimize that. Once you can see it, then maybe you can optimize it if if it's not the way you want it to be. That's fascinating. Now, this seems like a perfect example of what's possible <clears throat> in concurrent mode that wasn't possible before because you yeah. couldn't just step in and reprioritize that part yeah. once you had for sure once you knew where the user was headed for sure yeah this this has yeah concurrent mode and suspense are both big drivers of this that wouldn't have been before interesting yeah. well i i know we both have conference time to get back to <laughs> or like closing in on like 50 minutes but um i wanted to ask you um, i know one thing that's really hard about getting into a react code base um, now that you know a lot of these things are abstracted through build build tools and whatnot and it's hard to really like see what's happening in your app through the elements panel you've created a lot of nice um tools for navigating an application. Could you just give us like a high level on those and like how you would hope that these could help um, developers 
dive into a React app. Okay, uh, sure, sure, sure. So um, I think the the biggest three maybe are um, one is the component filters feature we call it. So this is a new section of the preferences where you can say um, well the idea here is that there's like big apps have tons of components and probably a lot of these components are maybe things that they're important but they you don't want to see them all the time. Um, so I could mean like context providers mm -hmm. like I don't want to pick on Redux or something but like maybe Redux connected components mm -hmm. like maybe you always have this one to one mapping of this thing to something else and you only want to see one of them or uh, pick something a host component so like native elements like divs and spans divs, for example sure. like they're important but like uh, DevTools if you click or highlight over an element it'll highlight it in the DOM and it also you can click it to go to the elements panel so like you know where it is in the DOM, so you maybe don't need to see like the 10 DOM elements that it renders. Sure. So component filters lets you just say, okay, uh, for now, just hide these. Mm -hmm. And this, uh, this flattens them in the tree. So uh, this was actually an interesting, uh, I didn't know that this would actually work out because it was sort of <laughs> something that I thought this could be really confusing or it could work out and it worked out. But the idea is that like, let's say you have a parent and uh, a div and a component and another component and you filter out the div, what do you show? DevTools actually just moves that grandchild component up as a sibling. Huh. Um, I'm choosing hand gestures, no one can see this. <laughs> but basically it, it, it flattens or shortens the tree. So you see things represented as siblings that might not be siblings. And That's I thought mean. like this could just work or it could be really confusing, but in practice it seems to like be a pretty intuitive mental like model for people to use. So filters are a great way to sort of say, um, hide these things, and you can leave them de defined but turn them on and off quickly if you have like things you sometimes want to see, sometimes don't. That's one thing. Um, another thing, well, this, the last two features are very closely intertwined, but they're the concept of seeing like what components render what other components. And that's useful for a couple of ways. It's useful if you're just trying to get a sense of the code base, then I want to know like, um, like roughly how many components are there and what's rendering what. There's a, a thing we call the owner's tree, which is basically just a, a zoomed in or like a drilled in view of the components. And you can just, I know double click is not the most accessible and discoverable thing, but currently that's how you do it. You double click an element and then DevTools will zoom in and it'll show you that element and only the things its render function returns. Huh. So that's kind of like looking at the source code um, without having to actually look at the source code. So this will tell you like, oh, this left uh, left pane renders like these links and these buttons in this profile thing, or it renders just one thing or nothing. Like that's like a nice way to get a sense of the the source code. And the sort of inverse of that is, well, I know a component, but I want to know what rendered this component mm -hmm. because uh, a very common thing is that like something is being passed in unexpected, like a prop that doesn't look right. Um, and so. I could spend 10 minutes, well, first I look up the source of this, <laughs> then I search my code base to see what references this, and now I know the thing that rendered that, but it got a prop from higher up, and I need to do this like 10 steps. Um, and even at Facebook with all of our like source searching tools, this is annoying. Yeah. So like the, this other feature is, a, is, like a, um, the, is like a stack of things that rendered m me and my parent and so forth to the root, and it's usually like, like the log of the depth of your tree, it's pretty short. Um, and it lets you say, okay, I have a bad prop. I don't know why to jump right to the thing that rendered me and I can look at its render definition. Huh. Um, and this will skip over, you know, 10, so yeah. lots of lots of depth sometimes with these wrapper components. 
and it just makes like debugging a lot faster, I think. So these three these three tools, I think together, the components filter is probably the most intuitive one, but the other two I think are also really powerful for like moving around an unfamiliar code base quickly. Yeah, and I, I know that that is something that we struggle with a lot is you know people who are new to a code base like don't know exactly how to navigate it because there's so many different tricks and and things and patterns that people use to compose components that mm -hmm. like every code base kind of feels like figuring that out yeah. again or maybe even in the same code base managed by like two two parts managed by different people um it's hard to know like you know like yeah i see there's a bunch of components between here and there but like who owns it like who yeah. who rendered it and seeing that today was just it it felt like the that's exactly what a lot of people are looking for when they they just want to know like hey where where is this coming from and how can i like fix it like it's just a really great debugging tool yeah i think so too i think that was an idea that sebastian pitched me over coffee one day um some features come up that way he's like why don't you build me this thing and i'm like ah screw off i don't want to build that thing and then it'll get stuck in my head and then i'm like damn it i gotta build that thing um but a lot of the new dev tools features came up from like side discussions with teammates and stuff like that uh, but I, yeah yeah i think it's a uh, hopefully it's a matter of once people know about them i think it's really uh they're really powerful so i think my job is to figure out the best ways to inform people yeah. And I know I need to make some of them more discoverable in the UI. I've got the tutorial site, which helps a little bit if people know to go there. But um, yeah, tips and suggestions on how to make them more discoverable is great too if people have it. Yeah. So all of this is in the React repo, all the dev tools. And I've made readmes for how to run them and test harnesses to run them. So like you can get set up and running in a hot reloady style fashion really quickly and easily. Awesome. Um, if folks are interested in contributing on dev tools, the bar is a lot uh, lower than it used to be, I think. Cool, cool. Awesome. Well, I am. I hope that this episode can help at least a few people realize like how many new things are in the dev tools and kind of get more people involved. Um, I thank you so much for for doing all that work, taking it on, and uh, thanks for chatting with us today. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, Brian, for all your hard work on React Dev Tools and for building tooling that will help us navigate concurrent React apps. For all you React developers out there that haven't installed the React Dev Tools. Do it right now. They're available in Chrome and Firefox. Sorry, Safari developers. And you'll be asking yourself how you ever got anything done before you had these things installed. Amazing work. Before you go, I want to give you 15% off React Day Berlin. This conference is always a hit, and they have a terrific speaker roster this year. Go to reactday.berlin to see the lineup. And uh, when you buy a ticket, if you use the code SPECFM, you'll get 15% off. Or just find this episode's show notes at reactpodcast.com slash 73 and click our link. It'll apply the code automatically. Dear contractors, don't go it alone. Partner with the amazing people at G2i. Visit g2i.co today. Apply and find opportunities that you'll love. Tailor made just for you. G2I. We vet, you get hired. It's that simple. Bring your ideas to life with React Native. Hire the industry experts at Infinite Red. Visit reactpodcast.infinite.red and get two tickets to next year's Chain React Conf. Meet the team and see why they're the ones to take your React Native app the distance. Build a beautiful, functional React Native app with Infinite Red. 
This episode of React Podcast was edited by Mikhail Delport. It was produced by Mikhail Delport and Sarah Jackson. You can find React Podcast on Spec, a network to help designers and developers level up. Visit spec.fm to find other shows that will take you further in your career. Help us out by reviewing this show on iTunes. Your reviews help the show grow and help us ensure great guests and awesome content week to week. To join the discussion, visit reactpodcast.com slash chat or follow us on Twitter at React Podcast. I'm at Chantastic. To stay out of the discussion but get updates, visit reactpodcast.com slash news and sign up for emails. Thanks so much for giving us your attention. We'll be in your ears again next week. Thank you.